Good morning, City Light. How are you guys? Great. I love snowy mornings around here because some of you, you take pride in your ability to park off-road whenever there's four inches of snow on the ground. It's like so fun. I'm like, yep, they're going into the snow. You're like, oh, let's wake up early so we can park in the snow and save a spot for someone else. I love it. It's just awesome to see. And so I love getting to follow Jesus with all of you guys. Uh, Last Sunday, uh, my family, we were down in Kansas City. And we got to see firsthand what God is doing in the church down there that we all planted. We gathered with over 60 people to sing to Jesus, preach the Bible, and prepare for their public launch, which is coming up in just a few weeks. I mean, honestly, guys, it's miraculous what God is doing. Whitney and I, we felt like we were just in awe. We were amazed at his goodness down there. If you will, flash back with me to Christmas Eve 2016. Our church was brand new. We were growing. It was exciting. And that evening, we had two gatherings. And we had just finished our first gathering. It was packed. The room was so full of people. And after that, my friend, he's now one of our pastors, Chuck Kaiser, came up to me. He looked past my eyes into my soul, and he asked, hey man, how are you? And as soon as he asked that question, I wanted to crumble and tell him the raw, exhausting truth. Because at that time, my soul was not in a good place. I was running too fast. I was pouring myself out, trying to renovate our house, trying to help with a newborn and It's like I was on the brink of burnout. Have you ever watched a bathtub drain? Like you pull the plug and at first you know the water level's going down even though it's hard to actually see it. But then little by little you can see the water level drop and it's starting to go faster and faster. And then you start to hear the suction sound in the drain and the water circling the drain going faster and faster, draining at a feverish pace. That's where my soul was. Whitney knew it because she's my wife. Chuck knew it because Whitney told her. But I didn't know it. I would just work normal hours for our church and then go home and kind of zombie my way through dinner and enjoy the lovely aroma of 11 puppies being raised on our patio and Think about the piles of laundry that came with having five small children. And then I would sit down and binge watch Gilmore Girls. (laughs) Not a good situation. Yet in spite of all that, it's like I couldn't see that I was burning out. I couldn't quite see that the water was draining at a feverish pace. But when Chuck asked me on that Christmas Eve, Hey man, how are you? It's like my eyes were opened to the drain. My soul began to feel the drain. And the most difficult part, at least for me, was to think, what do I do? By any clinical definition, I was depressed. By any relational measure, I was checked out. And by my own account, I was paralyzed. It's like I could watch the water circling the drain, but I just couldn't figure out how to reach for the plug and put it in the drain. I was paralyzed. Have you ever been there? Have you ever felt that way? 
Maybe for you, it happened when life wasn't fair, a wreck from out of nowhere. Maybe it was an extended hospital stay, maybe a major move or a job loss or a miscarriage. Maybe it was a hurtful word that someone said to you that just crushed you. And for whatever reason, you know your soul isn't in a good place, and you're watching the water drain at a feverish pace, but you just don't know what to do. You're not for sure you're stuck. You're paralyzed. Last Sunday, we began a journey through this little book in the Bible called Habakkuk. And what we saw last Sunday is that Habakkuk isn't Hallmark, right? It's not rosy and wonderful. Life isn't Hallmark. In fact, it's often hard. But what we saw is that when life is hard, we can ask God hard questions. We can cling to God even when life is hard. Hard. And if you weren't here last Sunday, can I encourage you, go get that sermon. Download it even to your phone right now while I'm preaching. You can grab it on our podcast or on our website. It's worth your time listening to it. My question is, after we ask God those hard questions and we acknowledge that, yes, life can be hard, then what do we do? When we feel like we're paralyzed, what action can we try to take? I just want someone to tell me a move I can make to pick up my foot, point it in the right direction, and say, take this step. After God and Habakkuk are dialoguing in a really raw way in chapter 1, they both get a little more practical in chapter 2. And what I want to do this morning is just walk through the first few verses of Habakkuk chapter 2 and identify three tools that can help us when life's not fair. Three steps that we can take even before life gets better. The first step we see in verse 1. Habakkuk has poured out his complaints to God. He's clinging to God like a climber clings to the rock In the rain, and then in verse 1, Habakkuk says this, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. So what's Habakkuk doing here? What's the step that Habakkuk's taking? He's watching for God. He's watching for God. In Habakkuk's day, some 2,700 years ago, cities had walls around them to protect them. And all along those walls were these watchmen on watch posts who were just looking out to see who was coming in. They were looking for invaders or guests, bad or good. And their whole job, their entire responsibility was just to look, to watch, to notice. And some of them didn't just stand on the wall, they would climb up in these towers so that they could have a better point of view to watch. Habakkuk saying, I'm going to go up on that wall, I'm going to climb up into my tower so that I can watch. And then what is Habakkuk watching for? Did you catch this in verse 1? He says, I'm going to look out to see what God will say to me, which is weird. Habakkuk's looking for what God's going to say. He wants to see what God's going to say, which means either Habakkuk was living in word world, or there's something that we can learn, right? Like you parents are like, oh yeah, word world, I remember that one. 
Or there's something that we can learn from, for what it means to watch for God. Watching for God isn't so much about scanning your life's circumstances and trying to make sense out of what these eyes can see. Watching for God is more about scanning his word, looking to his writings, listening for his voice with the eyes of our heart. When life's not fair, we tend to focus our eyes on what is most immediately visible to us. What we can easily see, like our bank account that's in the negative, or our boss who just unleashed his anger on us, or our physical pain that goes with us everywhere, or our friend who lays in that grave, or our grade that our teacher gave us, our empty pantry, our empty gas tank, our empty ring finger. When life's not fair, we tend to focus our eyes on what we can easily see. But Habakkuk's saying, I'm going to look for what I cannot see. I'm going to look for what must be heard. Even when the enemies are coming, he's looking for the word of God. It's the opposite of what we would naturally do, but it's exactly what we need to do. Habakkuk doesn't say, hey, you know what? Life's tough. It's already tough, and God just told me that it's going to get worse, so I'm going to keep doing what I've already been doing, and if God wants to get my attention, he knows how to get my attention. He knows where I'm going to be. No, Habakkuk says, I'm going to get to the watch post. I'm going to get to the tower, and I'm going to look for what God might say to me. I want to see what God might say. So very practically, what does that mean for you and me? Like, what's the step that we can take even while life's still not fair? It's this. Pick a place. Pick a place where you can read God's Word. Just pick a place where you can go and open your Bible and look for what God might say to you. Look for what He is speaking. And I know to some, that just sounds so easy. It like almost sounds cheesy Christian advice. But whenever you're stuck and you're paralyzed and you're watching the water circle the drain, just about anything feels difficult. So can I encourage you, right now in your mind, pick a place where you can go. Write it down on your program, punch it into your phone, a place you can go, open your Bible and say, God, I'm here. I sure hope you start talking. For Habakkuk, it was the watchtower. For you, watch your place. Where are you going to go? Habakkuk goes to the watchtower, and then in verse 2, God responds. While Habakkuk is in that tower, God starts speaking. And we don't know how long it took before God responded. Was Habakkuk in the tower for two hours or two days or two years? We're not really for sure, but we are for sure that God responded. When Habakkuk was watching for God, God came through for him. And when he shows up, God gives Habakkuk another step to take. Look at verse 2. And some of you, the first line of verse 2 is the whole reason you came this morning. You ready? And the Lord answered me. Some of you, just here, the Lord will answer you. 
And chances are you want the answer this morning. And I think I'm supposed to just tell you, he will answer you. He will answer. He answered Habakkuk when Habakkuk got to that place. So the Lord answered him. Here's what he said. Here's the next step to take. Write the vision. Make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. God tells Habakkuk, don't just hear it and think it and hope that it gets stuck in your memory bank and pops back up when you need it most. No, write it down. Keep a record. Journal what I'm saying to you. Write it down. After Chuck approached me that Christmas Eve and he saw through to my soul, if he's ever done it to you, you know what I'm talking about. And he said, hey man, how are you? I knew I needed to respond. Like I I had to do something. I couldn't just keep watching the water circle the drain. So I picked a place and I got away. And when I got away, I started writing. And what I wrote, (laughs) it wasn't a love song to God. It wasn't this poem about how beautiful he is and how much I love him. No, like what I wrote was really more like those complaint cards that you fill out online for the restaurant that messed up your order or the Amazon vendor who delivered a broken toy to your kid the day before Christmas, all right? You know what I mean? That's what I wrote, but I wrote it. I wrote it down. It wasn't only floating around in my head, jumbled up and showing up at different times and kind of driving me mad because I could never really get a handle on what was going on. No, when I wrote it down, I was able to see the mess of my life all on one page or two or three or four. I wrote it down and then I asked God, oh, would you speak to me? I started watching for his word and I listened, what would you say to me And I wrote that down too. And I began a habit that day, a a practice that has stuck with me since then. And I just call it prayer journaling, where you write out your prayers to God and then you ask him to speak to you and you write down what he says back to you. This habit of writing. There's been studies done about writing and the benefits of that. One of those studies, there were some researchers in New Zealand, which is where most hobbits like Eric live, Um, they did a study back in 2013. They asked some patients who were about to get a biopsy on their arm, they asked some of those patients to write every day for 20 minutes leading up to the biopsy. Just write about a life experience, whatever it is, just write for 20 minutes leading up to their biopsy. Then 11 days after the biopsy, they checked on them. And what they found is that those who wrote every day leading up to the biopsy, 76% of them were healed. But for those who didn't write, only 48% of them were healed. Lots of studies have been done, and what researchers keep discovering and finding is that when we write, when we journal, it actually makes us healthier, both our bodies and our spirits. And this is probably about the part of the sermon where most of you guys are starting to check out, and you're saying, I know he's talking to the women because I'm not about to start journaling or writing in my diary, right? But men, let me just tell you, those same studies also showed that men benefit more from this writing it out than women do, okay? Now, just hang with me, men. Can, can we shoot straight a little bit, dudes, okay? Most of us men, if we're honest, we really stink at expressing what's going on inside. Like, we stink at expressing our feelings to other people, to God. Honestly, most of us stink at prayer, 
because prayer includes opening up our hearts to God, a person. Prayer often feels like those moments when your wife or your girlfriend asks you to sit down and she looks at you and she says, what's going on inside? And I'm like, I, I don't know. Like, something's going on inside. I, I lock up. I get paralyzed. I don't know how to say what's going on inside. And I want to tell you what's going on inside, but I'm not really for sure how to say what's going on inside. And while I'm worried about well, how to say what's going on inside, the Chiefs just ran another set of downs, and I want to know what Patty Mahomes did, right? I, it's like distracting. For a man, writing down our prayers lets us go slow enough to have a clue what's happening in our hearts and get that out to God. Prayer journaling is like the training wheels for talking with God. It's the training wheels for prayer. When I'm writing out my prayers, I'm just happy that I'm writing something out. I'm not checking for spelling. I'm not checking for grammar. I'm not checking for all the right theology. I'm just writing my heart out to God. I think many of us men, we we wish that our prayer lives were like a Harley Davidson strong, powerful, fast. But if you're like me, chances are we got to start with the training wheels before we ever grow into the road king. Amen? Amen. And for all of us, men, women, young and old, God's not saying, hey, I want you to start a daily diary where you write journal entries to yourself. God told Habakkuk to write down what God was saying to him, and I think we would be wise to do the same. Journal your prayers. Keep a record. Write down every day, whether it's just one sentence a day or it's 10 pages in cursive with your little swirly gigs for every I and J, okay? Keep a record. Write it down. Some of you, this week, you're going to start writing your prayers and you're going to write about some really painful things that have happened to you. You're going to have to call your city group leader and say, hey, pray for me that I can get through this. Some of you, your prayers aren't going to be love poems. They're going to be complaint cards. You're going to have to share that with God. Some of you, it's going to be the first time ever you've written a prayer that it went from something in your head to on a page. Go for it. Take that step, write it down. God asked Habakkuk to write it down because it leads to something else. Part of the reason he asked Habakkuk to do that leads to our third step, our third tool for when life's not fair. Look at me at verse, or look with me at verse three. God says to Habakkuk, after he tells him to write it down, he says, for, so this is why he told him to write it down, for still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. God is saying that there's times, oftentimes, he speaks long before it comes to pass. Like maybe you feel like God has told you, your body's gonna recover. You're gonna get healed, but you're still going in for chemo treatments. Or God told you, your marriage is gonna get through this rough spot, but it's been days since your spouse has spoken to you or weeks since they hugged you. Or you know God has called you into a certain career field, but you're still stuck in your dead-end job. Sometimes God speaks to us long before it comes to pass. The vision awaits its appointed time. It's not here yet. So we're watching for God, scanning his word. We're writing it down. What else can we do? The rest of verse 3 spells it out for us. Look at how verse 3 ends. 
If it seems slow, what's the next word, church? Oh, there it is. Wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. The third step is wait for God. Wait for God. When Habakkuk heard this, he had already been waiting. Now he had to wait more. When Habakkuk heard this, it already seemed slow. Now it was going to seem slower. He was watching for God. He was writing it down. And now Habakkuk had to wait for God. I hate to wait. (laughs) I'm sure you're a really patient and gracious person when you're in traffic and at the line at the DMV, but I hate to wait. In fact, I was raised in a family where being on time meant you better be 10 minutes early. And I just figured that's how the whole world operates, kind of like an airport where you should know better than to merely be on time somewhere. So for our second ever date, I told Whitney I'd come pick her up at, let's say, 6.30, okay? So at 6.20, I pull into her driveway, and I park my car, and I honk the horn. Honk, honk, honk. And I think, since I know that the world operates 10 minutes ahead of time, she also knows that being on time means you better be 10 minutes early. So I'm just thinking, she's going to come running out the door, ready to go. I'd open her car door for her, and she'd jump in, and we'd go on our date, but that didn't happen. There was no response. So being the awesome gentleman that I was, I honked again. And this time, every honk was a little bit longer. Honk, honk, honk. Still no response. So I get out of the car and I go up to the door. I ring the doorbell and she comes running to the door, opens it real fast. She says, hey, great to see you. Come on in. I'm just finishing up a few things. And so I step inside, look at my watch. Now it's 6.25, and I'm wondering, why is she running so late? So I sit down at the kitchen table in the house where she was living, and I wait, which actually means I brooded, okay? Like a hen sitting on her eggs with an unhappy face, I sat there and wondered how she could ever treat me this way, how rude it is that she would keep me waiting. We're going to miss our reservation at Chicken Express, and my car is still running outside, okay? That's how I waited. I think if we're honest, that's how many of us wait for God, right? Like, I pull up outside, I'm a little bit away from God, keeping my distance, and I'm going to honk at him, honk, 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 and he should get the, the, like, notice, right? He should get the memo if he hears me honking, and then if he doesn't respond, and he should respond on my timetable when I want him to show up, where I want him to show up, but if he doesn't show up at that time, I'll honk again at him, honk, 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 a little bit longer this time. If that doesn't work, then I'll get out and I'll go to the door, I'll ring the doorbell, he comes to the door, lets me in, hey, great to see you, wait just a minute, I'm finishing a few things up. So I sit at the table and I wait. I think about all the ways that he's running late, all the important things that I need to do with my life, all the ways that he's let me down, and how painful this waiting process is. Often that's how we wait for God. Now ladies, can you help me out a little bit here? Let's rewind the clock to my second ever date with Whitney And help me understand, how should I have waited, okay? It's 6.20, I pull in the driveway. How should I have waited for her? Well, probably for starters, I should have never honked the horn, okay? In fact, I should have just parked the horse-drawn carriage, white horses, of course, climbed down gently out of the carriage, gone up to the door, knocked gently while I held a fresh bouquet of flowers. 
Then when Whitney came to the door, lets me and says, hey, so good to see you. I'm just finishing a few things up. I should have stepped in and looked upon her with great joy and waited with anticipation in my heart. I should have thought, oh, what is she going to wear? How is she going to do her hair? Oh, she's going to be so beautiful. And then I should have kept my eyes on that hallway that I know she's going to step into the moment she's ready so that I can go up and smile, give her a hug, and hand over the fresh bouquet of flowers. That's how I should have waited. And single ladies, you're welcome to kick any man who waits differently to the curb, okay? (laughs) Don't waste your time on him. City Light, I think when God told Habakkuk to wait for it, he didn't mean Habakkuk should brood and wait like I waited. I think he meant that Habakkuk should be ready while he waits, that Habakkuk should anticipate while he waits, that Habakkuk should be looking even as he waits. But this, this is hard, right? Let's be honest about where we are, right? We're not talking about waiting for a beautiful girl on our second date. We're in Habakkuk. Habakkuk's waiting for God to vindicate himself even after his enemies have come and destroyed the people and destroyed the city. Habakkuk's waiting when life isn't fair, and we're waiting when life isn't fair. When the doctor says he should have a diagnosis in a few weeks. When the lawyer says he'll send the papers over soon enough. When the job offer hasn't come even after half a year. When we're still waiting for the test results to come back. How do we wait then? Thankfully, Habakkuk 2 verse 4 tells us. Look at the end of verse 4. It says, the righteous shall live shall watch and write and wait. The righteous shall live by his faith, not feelings. The righteous shall wait by faith, not by logic. The righteous shall live by faith, not by good works or religious karma that tells us God owes us something in our lives, but the righteous watch, they wait, they write, they live by faith. In other words, the righteous trust God even when they can't see what they so desperately want to see. They watch for God even when the enemy attacks. They write it down even when it seems like it will still be a while. Even when it's slow, they wait for it. Faith isn't our religious preference. It's not our choice of habits for a Sunday morning. Faith is watching and waiting for God instead of rushing ahead and looking to ourselves when life isn't fair. Let me say that again. Faith isn't our religious preference or our choice of habits for Sunday mornings. Faith is watching and waiting for God instead of rushing ahead and looking to ourselves even when life isn't fair. And isn't this what our Savior went through? Isn't this what Jesus himself experienced? When Jesus knew that the cross was hours away, the single most unfair event in all of history. When Jesus knew the cross was hours away, what did he do? 
He picked a place to go, to pray, to watch for what God might say to him. Instead of a wall, Jesus went to a garden to watch for God. And then as he watched for God, the religious leaders and the Romans and Satan himself unleashed their attacks on him. And Jesus suffered through the torture and the death of crucifixion, waiting for God waiting for God to deliver him, waiting for God to vindicate him. And Jesus died still waiting for God. He waited for three days in the grave, but then on the third day, God rose Jesus from the grave. It seemed slow, but it did not delay. It hastened. God didn't lie. No, God came through. He vindicated Jesus by rising him from the grave. And now all of us, we get to look back on that written record. It was written down so we can refer back to it over and over again. And we put our faith, we fix our eyes on a Savior who watched and waited for God even when life wasn't fair. May we do the same. Amen, church? Amen. Would you pray with me? And let's ask God to do a work in our hearts. Even now, there's no need to rush, no need to hurry. We've crafted this morning so that you can have this time to interact with God, to share your heart with him and watch for his word. And so, Father, even now, I pray that you would speak to us. Even in this room this morning, there's so many different needs so many different wants, so many different pains. And Father, I ask that through your Holy Spirit, you would be speaking to each of us. Father, I pray for those this morning who need to watch for your word. Their eyes have been fixed on what's so easily visible, and you're inviting them to fix their eyes on what can't be seen to look for what must be heard. And so, Father, I pray this morning you would be speaking to them through your scriptures, you'd be speaking to them through your spirit, that you would give them a word, a verse, something to hang on to while they wait for you. And Father, I pray this morning that many of us, we'd start a new habit of, of writing out our prayers to you and writing down what you say back to us. And we'd have this record, this journal to go back and say, oh, God showed up here even when I didn't think he would show up. Or God said this, or God gave me this Bible verse and I can hang on to that. I've got a record, I can go back to it. Would you help us write out what you're saying to us? Trusting that you will see it through. And then Father, I, just, I pray for encouragement. Would you encourage your people this morning? Oh, there's so many people in our church who are hurting, they're suffering. They're going through one of those seasons right now. I pray that you would encourage them as they open their Bibles in that place, as they write down what you're saying. Would you encourage them and say, I'm with you, I haven't left you, I am for you. Father, would you draw near to your people? This morning I pray for anyone here who has never put their trust in Jesus Christ. They haven't acknowledged their sin or believed on your son, Jesus. Would you bring them to that place? May that be their starting point. Even when life's still not fair, even when life still hurts, even before the healing comes, may they go to Jesus and say, I trust you. I've sinned, I've turned away from you, but I trust you. Would you save me, forgive me, 
redeem me. Would you make me whole, Jesus? Would you bring them to you this morning, Jesus, for your glory? Oh, Father, speak to us now. We pray in Jesus' good name. Amen.